Chapter 21 of Little Pilgrimages Among the Women Who Have Written Famous Books. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sonia. Little Pilgrimages Among the Women Who Have Written Famous Books by Edward Francis Harkins. Chapter 21 Bertha Runkle. The Helmet of Navarre was a remarkable book for many reasons, but the fact that its author was little over twenty years of age was not the most remarkable. Bryant had written Thanatopsis before he had reached that age, and Elizabeth Stuart Phelps composed The Gates Ajar at nineteen. The most interesting fact about the production of The Helmet of Navarre is that its author has never even caught a glimpse of the shores of France. Indeed, she has seldom been beyond the boundaries of new york state the castles in which royalty here disported were true castles in the air in considering the book therefore we view what may be accomplished by long-distance flights of the imagination miss bertha runkle is a product of the literary atmosphere of new york combined with the healthy and muscle-giving properties of golf and of tennis thus disproving the oft-quoted and quite prevalent theory that literary minds and frail bodies are inseparably linked together. Although the state of New Jersey is associated in the minds of most of us with sand flats, mosquitoes, and malaria, it has the honor of claiming the birthplace of the newest addition to American expounders of historical romance. The mind of Miss Bertha Runkle was first stimulated to literary expression at Berkeley Heights, New Jersey, a small place, a quiet place and a distinctly suburban place. But in 1888, she and her mother moved to New York, where association with a more swiftly moving environment than that of a backcountry town did much to brighten an intellect which already showed signs of brilliancy quite out of the ordinary. Her love of the good things in literature indeed comes honestly, for her father, Cornelius A. Runkle, who died when she was a young girl, was a well-known New York lawyer and for many years counsel for the new york tribune and her mother was previous to her marriage an editorial writer on the same paper the first american woman in fact to be on the staff of a great metropolitan daily when a very small child the author of the helmet of navarre showed distinct signs of romantic promise for while other infants were cooing sweet words of wisdom and of pseudo love to dolls of paper and of wax she was amusing herself by compiling stories and by beginning to write them down with true celtic genius however she would tire of them about the third chapter and begin another one again note the early expression of the real artistic nature such education as it was her pleasure to be subjected to was first received at home and then at a fashionable new york boarding school where yellow-backed novels were more popular than the works of thackeray and carlyle this story-writing trick of hers, however, still remained, and in some way offset the moral degeneracy into which such dissipations as an over-indulgence in five-pound boxes of foilers or mallards, and in the matinee, threatened to plunge her. In 1893, her mother purchased a small piece of land at Ontiora, Tannersville, New York, and upon it built a house where she and her daughter have lived every summer it is here that miss runkle has followed the life of the typical american girl one sees in the centre pages in life 
and learned not only how to write a successful novel, but also how to swing a golf club, ride a wheel, drive a cart, and in spite of endless skirts, play an excellent game of tennis. The virility which infused the pages of her first book was but the virility of her own nature. Spencer has said, the book is the man himself. Here is an excellent proof of the saying, only this time it is a woman. When Miss Runkle received a letter saying that her story would first be published in The Century magazine and enclosing a cheque for serial rights, a smile of intense satisfaction passed over her face as she held out the cheque for her mother to see, and the subsequent developments which the manuscript evolved when it appeared in printed form have left that smile in possession of her features. One of the first things she did with her newly acquired wealth was to purchase a pony and cart. The pony was a very little one, but she made him extremely well acquainted with the mountain roads, and when the summer was over and it grew cold in Ontiora, too cold in fact for comfort, she drove her mother all the way to New York. It took three whole days and they both enjoyed it. The pony's name is Peggy, short for Pegasus. There is nothing of the blue stocking, the Chautauquan assembly campstooler, the WCTU woman, or the intellectual hyena about Miss Runkle. In her own words, she says she dislikes extremely being looked at as a literary freak. If you should see her driving around on Tiora in a short skirt, with her hair hanging down her back in two thick braids, you would never suspect that she is the author of one of the most popular novels of the past year nor would you suspect it if you saw her dancing at one of the inn's informal hops. She is as simple, as wholesome, as genuine as any American girl. She has always been extremely fond of history, biography, memoirs and the like, so the study of the Helmet of Navarre was part of the fun. She had the story in her mind for two years or so, and the actual writing took about four months. But she didn't put all her time upon it, the mornings only. The afternoons were spent out of doors. The title of The Helmet of Navarre was taken from a passage in Lord Macaulay's Ivry, which its author adopted as a motto. Press where you see my white plume shine amidst the ranks of war, and be your oriflamme today the Helmet of Navarre. The book came out with a great shouting, a banging of drums, blaring of trumpets, and tons of advertising, and it was not a book that one could easily ignore, for great black letters, heralding its power, its beauty, and its great worth, stared at one from the pages of every newspaper and magazine. In fact, a line in large letters upon the paper wrapper of the very book itself quoted a contemporary to the effect that any writer of any age might rejoice in its equal. For this reason, many read it who would not have otherwise done so, and the effect on the whole was very agreeable. The reader began with expectation of immediately seeing the king, or at least catching a glimpse of his plume, or his horse's heel, but such was not the case. The author's restraint in not at once hurling this fiery meteor among the lesser constellations inspired gratitude. Fictional kings are extremely difficult things to manage. Like the queen in Alice in Wonderland, they are either continually in the way, or else are always thundering, off with his or her head. For this reason, Miss Runkle showed judicious foresight and a sense of the artistic that was very commendable, but his cause was at the bottom of the events which were primarily introduced. The power of the League and of Monsieur de Mayenne was dying, and Henry was about to ascend the throne when the story began. 
the great Duc de Saint-Quentin, was Henry's staunch partisan, and had come up to Paris to flaunt his loyalty in the face of Mayenne. Félix Brou, servitor of the aforesaid, was the hero of the tale, and came to Paris at the same time, and immediately became involved in a number of plots, counterplots, escapades, fights and brawls, that have happened to the innumerable fictional heroes of the France of that period, from the famous musketeers of Dumas to the rollicking blades of Stanley Wayman. The intrigue in which the youthful hero became implicated was as complicated as the windings of the maze, from the looking-glass intricacies of which the gullible visitor pays a delicate sum to be extracted. The Duc de Saint-Quentin and his son, the Comte de Mar, had become estranged through the villainies of one Lucas, who was employed as the Duke's secretary, but was in reality a nephew of Mayenne and a spy of the League. Félix Brou and the Comte de Mar became warm friends and moved from one peril to another with a cheerful indifference to sudden death that gladdened the heart. The former was the means of bringing about a reconciliation and understanding between father and son, and of exposing the evil machinations of Lucas, and thereafter served the Mar with unfailing loyalty and unswerving purpose. Lucas, who was the evil genius of the tale, time and time again, wove plot after plot with trigonometrical precision, but the Saint-Quentins, who were ever upon the brink of destruction, always managed to extricate themselves with the dexterity of a Sherlock Holmes. The love episodes were furnished by the Comte de Mar and the ward of the Duc de Mayenne, Laurence de Montluc. Laurence eventually escaped from her guardian's house and made a journey on foot to her lover in the camp of the Béarnais at Saint-Denis and the book ended with the customary union of two fond and loving hearts. There were the usual number of snares, secret passages, mysterious inns, and rascally landlords, and, of course, many sparks from whizzing sorts. The fact that the author eschewed the local colour that is generally supposed to exist in terms of speech, in characteristic oaths and exclamations such as, by the second little finger of the night of St. Madrid, ventre saint gris, etc., was decidedly a point in her favour. The few that were used had no taint of artifice, and the merit was everywhere in evidence. Considered then as an entity, the Helmet of Navarre was not the most remarkable work of present-day fiction, as its publishers would have us believe, but a very creditable bit of writing, especially for an author who had not yet reached the quarter-century mark and one which was read by a great many people simply from the fact of its having been vigorously brought to their attention. But the fact that it was the product of the American girl that we are so proud of, the American girl who can fish and shoot and do and dare, is its greatest merit. Vive la femme américaine! End of chapter 21 End of Little Pilgrimages Among the Women Who Have Written Famous Books by Edward Francis Harkins